morning, Maria. It's great to be with you this morning. We're excited about today. Can you believe that the month of May is already half over? I truly cannot. Uh, It's kind of crazy, but I am very excited about the weather change that has happened here at the end of the week. I want to remind you, Welcome Home Sunday is now only two weeks away. It's very quickly approaching. We're so excited for the plans that God has in store for us, the ones that he's put in place. Can you help us spread the word? We're going to be sending out a letter here in the next week or so to try to get to everybody, but really word of mouth, letting people know is going to be the best way to let everybody know what's going on and when we are getting back together. We don't want anyone to miss that first Sunday back together, May 31st at 10 a.m. Remember, we're going to pray that it is a beautiful, beautiful morning and that we can have service outside that day. So bring your bag chairs, your lawn chairs, uh, whatever whatever you want to to be comfortable. We're going to meet outside, uh, out in the the grassy areas. So the grass might be a little damp, but who knows? That's okay. Um, We're hoping for a great day. If for some reason the weather is bad that day, we'll just meet online that Sunday. Then the following Sunday, June 7th, June 7th, we are going to be back in person in the building. And our plans for that day are special. Again, if, if anything changes between now and then in our in our our state or recommendations, guidelines, things like that, we will make adjustments. Um, if uh, there's new uh, recommendations, if you will, for gatherings, we'll make some adjustments to the room. But the most specific thing that we are going to do is we're offering a separate room for those that are higher risk individuals. Um, they'll be, have their own personal entrance. They'll come into that room. They'll be spaced accordingly. They'll have a live feed of the service so they can still gather and worship with us, but won't have the, the exposure to everyone that day. So we're super excited about that opportunity that our building allows for us to do. So please, just please be in prayer for that. Help us spread the word. May 31st, First, welcome home Sunday. We don't want anybody to miss that. That'll be at 10 a.m. on Sunday the 31st and then back in the building at 10 a.m. on June 7th. Um, The last thing that I want to remind you of is this. This is a great time, a great time for you to begin inviting family and friends. Matter of fact, even as you're watching right now, there's a a button you can click that says invite someone right now to this service and you can do that and then you just copy and paste that link or it takes you directly to Facebook or a text message and you can invite them right now to join us live. But especially when we gather back together, here's the thing. In a sense, for the first time in, in church history, we are kind of all starting over together. And May 31st is a super special day for a lot of reasons that I'll get to share with you here in a couple weeks. So we're excited about that. Let's pray for this opportunity that's coming. Father God, we are so excited to gather back together once again and to be a part of the family of God gathered, not just scattered. Father, be with us. Pray for that day that it's just a perfect, glorious morning to worship you outside. We pray for those um, that might be concerned Uh, about different things related to health and and issues. We pray that uh, you offer them the peace that they need to be a part of of such things and the protection, quite honestly, as well. Please guide us, protect us as a church, as a body, as we try our best to get the word of your son and what he did for each and every one of us and his love for us out to everyone in our community and beyond. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Live prepared is the theme of this series from James. It's kind of interesting. So far, we looked at how James was not prepared to accept his brother, his half-brother, as his personal Lord and Savior. In fact, he rejected the idea completely until one day when Jesus came to him after the resurrection, showed James personally the love 
that he had for them. And then James went on to accept the forgiveness, forgiveness that Christ was offering and on to become one of the foundation, one of the pillars, one of the, the, or, the originators, one of the most respected men in all of the early church. Quite a change in lifestyle for James. His words has helped to strengthen and spread the gospel across the entire Roman Empire at the time. But here we are in 2020, still speaking of the words of Jesus' half-brother James. It's an incredible thing. He wrote this letter to believers who were spread far and wide across the Roman Empire and to you and I today. Believers who were struggling to live out their faith. Does that happen today? The words that the Spirit inspired him to write helped the believers through the trials that they were dealing with. They helped them know what it, was, what it meant to be a Christian, how to live the Christian lifestyle surrounded by all the influences of the world. James reminded them how to best represent the love of Jesus to everyone and how to treat others fairly. He desperately wanted their faith to be genuine, to be real, so that when others saw these individuals, they would see Jesus. What would others see? What do others see in us? How would the world know that we are the followers of Christ? James has an answer for us. It starts simply with the word. Now, we've read parts of these texts before. I told you before, James will say something in chapter one and then refer to it again as we continue on later. And so each time we reread these verses, it actually often applies to a different section of the letter that James wrote. He starts with the word, the word. If your faith is true, if your faith is genuine, if it is real, then get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God planted in you, which can save you. So what do we have to do with the word? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to receive the word. In order for the word of truth, for the power of Christ to dwell in us, we must accept it into our lives. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. We are responsible for opening the door. He won't come in unless we do. We must humble ourselves. We must die to ourselves and allow the word of truth to take over our lives. We must welcome him in with a teachable spirit that allows his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to move us to a something greater than who we can become on our own. Remember, God has placed inside of all mankind a desire for something greater, a desire to worship, a desire for freedom, a desire for justice, all things that can only be fulfilled in him. But he leaves the choice up to us. If we pursue him, then we will be completed. If not, then we will always be searching for something more. James says that we must hear the word. Hear the word, not just listen to the word. This passage couldn't be more descriptive. If you truly hear the word of God, then you will do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word, verse 22, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. There's a real life illustration of what this unfortunately looked like. In 1912, on the maiden voyage of the Titanic, it's said that the radio operator of the Titanic received multiple warnings from area ships about icebergs in the area. One very specific warning came from a ship called the Masaba. 
at 9.40 ship's time that evening. Now, the English is kind of broken because it's a very specific short message. It said, to Titanic, iceberg report in latitude 42 north to 41.25 north, longitude 41 west to 40 or 50.30 west. Saw much heavy ice pack and great number large icebergs, also an ice field. Weather good, clear. The Titanic was traveling at 22.5 knots, headed straight for that ice field. It said that the radio operator disregarded that message. It never made it to the captain that evening. And at 11.40, we all know what happened. The Titanic hit one of those icebergs and 1,500 lives were lost. You see, they listened to the information, but the lack of action resulted in destruction and in death. This is what has happened to so many of us. It's what become of so many of our lives. Faithful churchgoers come each week. We listen to the word of God, the life's changing, life-altering, new life-offering word of God. Then, then we walk out the doors and we completely forget what God is trying to say to us. We forget how he is trying to help us grow, how he is trying to convict us. Maybe we spend time in God's word each and every day, but at the moment we close that book, it's back to business as usual. There's no impact, no change, no desire to seek and save the lost. God gives us a glimpse into his perfect love, into his perfect sacrifice, into his perfect plan, and then we take a look and we walk away. Until next week when we'll listen once again. To James, as you can imagine, this is madness. It's fake. People who live this way could not possibly be genuine, true followers of Jesus. The rest of our time together today, James shares with us what genuine faith looks like, what true religion, devotion to God looks like in the life of a believer. But notice James does not say to just be a doer. You see, God doesn't need a bunch of activists running around who act on impulse and don't have a genuine, true knowledge and understanding of God and his word. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have learned or heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That is a key. They will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. So we must first humbly accept the word of our lives. We must deeply hear the word and then do what the word is asking us to do. And we must take time and examine the word of God, to look intently into God's word and all that it can provide for our lives. Now, let's be really honest. In our culture today, we are not thorough. <laughs> this is not a common characteristic in our world, is it? We don't investigate any longer. We might take a look at the headlines, but we don't look deeply into things. We certainly don't read the entire article, do we? We might see a post on Facebook or a tweet or a post on Instagram, but do we investigate that to see if that's actually real, if that really happened, if those words were really spoken, if that's really what that person even said? Of course not. That takes way too much time. James contends that if, if we look deeply into the law, deeply into the word, and we continue in it, not just listening, 
but doing, acting on what we hear, applying the truths that we receive, living in the freedom that we will find, then we will be blessed. Listen again to what he said. We will be blessed by what we do. Not blessed by what we listen to, not blessed by going and hearing, but blessed by doing. That is key. And if we don't do, well, our so-called religion is worthless. You see, religion, that is, our God considers and accepts pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. True religion involves showing character. If anyone considers himself religious, you see, there's a lot of people that consider themselves to be religious today. How are genuine Christians to be different than someone who just considers themselves to be religious? True believers not only know Christ and show consistency, they show character. Now, Christian character, that's evident in three different ways, according to James. It's first evident in our conversation. We talked about that very recently when we talked about our tongue and being able to control it. The words that come from our mouth represent Christ. So our faith should be evident in our conversation. There's evidence in our concern for others, James 1.27. We deeply, genuinely care for other people. We serve them. We help them in their times of need. And then there's evidence in our conduct. We actually act on the things that we hear, the word of God instilled in us, the love of Jesus. One of the greatest issues facing the church today is its credibility. We're now in the third millennia since the time of Christ. We're past the 2,000 year mark. We're into the, the next thousand years since the time of Christ. And the world is wondering, are we credible? Are They're waiting, they're watching us. Are we legit? Our Lord ended the greatest sermon he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, with an illustration. I won't read the entire illustration, but what Jesus was trying to get the point across was this, the importance of doing what God's word says. Jesus reveals that the wise builder is a picture of someone who hears the words of his and puts them into practice. We often hear or say, I don't believe in religion but only a relationship with Jesus. I ask, is that statement accurate? What would cause people to say such a thing? For James, I contend it was a strong belief in both a relationship with Jesus and God, as well as his religion, his faith lived out. James shares with us a different sort of religion, a new kind that we're gonna talk about today. Religion as an outward expression of, of faith. No longer is religion an external restraint, something we have to do because of someone or something else and the pressure put upon us. No, instead, it is an internal restraint. We choose to limit or restrain ourselves out of love and devotion to Jesus because of what he has done for us. This is what true religion looks like. It's visiting the hurting. It's helping the poor. It's caring for the widows and orphans in their distress. It's keeping oneself from being overtaken by the world. This religion is considered pure and faultless in the eyes of God. If this is what true religion is, then what on earth is wrong with it? I can tell you God fully accepts it. Are we striving to live out the ways of God? James's passion for genuine faith finally reached the climax in the next verses as he calls out those who claim to have faith but 
But what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if some claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have Deeds, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was filled with, fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In that same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, it is true There is a credibility issue for many people of faith today. Genuine faith is getting harder and harder to observe. James contends that the world must see Christ in us through our faith in action. There's not another option. Charles Swindoll famously said, Faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you can always see the results. (laughs) Not pleasant results typically then. In James 2, 14 through 26, now we live in a day when the church has lost its place of respect and influence. While many church members are quick to say they're people of faith, the world shouts back that haunting question from James 2, 16. You're a person of faith, that's great. What good is it? Because the church and thus the teachings and the truths of Jesus have lost their voice in so many communities. Now our whole nation has lost its ethical and moral compass. A faith without fruit is a false faith. You see, the conflict between faith and works is age old. It's been around for a very long time. The whole argument originated in this issue that James is talking about, beginning in James 2.14. The question of what is faith without fruit. James reveals to us that a faith without fruit is three things. A faith without fruit is false, it's futile, and ultimately, it's fatal. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Now, first note carefully that James is not speaking about a man who has faith, but a man instead who claims to have faith. He talks the talk, but he doesn't walk the walk. And then he asks, can such a faith save him? True saving faith will never be alone. It will never be by itself. It will always be accompanied by the fruit of that person's faith, the fruit of the Spirit in that person's life. So a faith without fruit is a false faith. A faith without fruit is a futile faith. James says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. Now at first, James 2.18 seems to kind of contradict Paul's statement in Romans 3.28 when he says, For we maintain that man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Now in reality, they are actually complementing one 
another, and we'll explain that. They're not contradicting one another at all. When we look at these statements in context, we find that James and Paul are arriving at the exact same place from very different perspectives. They said the same thing, but with a different emphasis. For example, when Paul spoke of his words, he of the works he was speaking of, he was re-speaking to the works of law, such as observing the Sabbath and offering the required sacrifices, etc., etc. When James speaks of works, he is speaking, he's referring to the fruit of our faith, which is an internal choice to follow the commands of Jesus out of love for him and genuine love for our neighbors. Paul was hitting hard at the men and women who are trying to be saved by keeping the law rather than allowing Jesus to provide all they need for salvation, trusting in Jesus alone for their salvation. James, on the other hand, was concerned with people who, were conf- who seemed to be confused that mere belief in God was enough. And that was a true saving faith. And in fact, it is not the kind which ultimately produces Fruit. A true saving faith, we know, does produce fruit. Finally here, a faith without fruit is a fatal faith. A faith without fruit is simply not just false, it's not just futile, but ultimately is fatal. In the words of James 2.26, it is dead. There are no vital signs, no pulse rate, no heartbeat. It is only fatal silence. James 2.20 says that such a faith is useless as well. Many church members today have no faith and no works. Some will gather, they'll sing, they'll talk about nice things, positive, wonderful things, but there's no ongoing effort, no ongoing ministries to help meet people's needs. Others have works, but no faith. They're simply trying to gain the power or good standings within their community. Their motivation is for worldly gain, not the biblical approval of Jesus. Biblical Christianity is genuine. The works are born, fr- born from it are based on the love and actions of Jesus. He is our model. It doesn't seek personal gain. It only seeks to save the lost from an eternity apart from Jesus. It's not a faith with works. It is a faith that works. Now, some have suggested this tension between James' teachings on faith and works and Paul's teachings on faith for as long probably as these words have been in existence. So as I was researching, I found some really unique analogies that might help us better understand how these two positions actually complement each other very, very well. They're not in opposition in any way. Paul's emphasis is on the root, the origin of salvation. That, of course, would be faith in Christ, and that is all. It is absolutely true that it is through Christ alone that we are saved, period. James could not, would not, in any way be able to be convinced of anything other than that. He absolutely agrees with what Paul is saying. James, on the other hand, is emphasizing the fruit after Jesus saves us. Paul is looking at things from God's perspective. This is what saves you. James is looking at it from a human perspective. I read it this way. Paul's sitting in the house looking at the beautiful, warm, roaring fire. James is on the roof watching the smoke roll out of the chimney. He can't see the fire. He can only see 
the results. James believes that the world should be able to tell that our faith is a burning fire in our hearts, and as a result, they will see the expression of our love for Jesus and for others through our deeds on this earth. I love this word picture for how to resolve the perceived differences between Paul and James's teachings. It comes from a man named Griffith Thomas from a long time ago. It has well been said that St. Paul and St. James are not soldiers of different armies fighting against each other, but instead soldiers of the same army fighting back to back against enemies coming from opposite directions. Remember, we have a purpose on this earth as believers. We are to continue the the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost. We cannot see, or I'm sorry, the lost, the lost cannot see people's faith inside of them. It doesn't exist. It does not, it's not real to them. Only God can truly know what it is in a man's heart. By our faith, we are justified before him. But our works, our faith lived out, will allow others to see our faith for real. Even if they don't agree with it, it proves to them that we are doing what Jesus wants us to do. We are living out our lives for Jesus. And if you and I are doing what Jesus is asking us to do, if we're living out his commands, then it brings those people that even are in opposition to us to ask a question. Why? Why are these people living this way? Why are these people doing these things? And it opens the door for us to share with them the reason. You see, the reality is this. If a person only has a head faith, has a personal internal faith, then no one will ever see that. Compare that with the person whose faith consumes not just their head and their heart, but also their hands. Church, we have to move from a faith that is personal and internal and transform it into the functioning faith that it is called to be. If you will not move to this place, then your faith, as James says it, is dead. There is no purpose in your life for this faith. It is not life-changing for you, and it won't be life-changing for anyone observing you. James would deem that useless faith. Our functioning faith must be involved. True, saving faith is active. It is not full of empty words or promises. It is not something that you simply talk about. It is the thing that motivates your life. You don't just think of others, you actually serve others. We must be the hands and feet of Jesus in this life. All of us, not some of us, not 20% of us, every single one of us must be. And there are no age limits on this service. There are no physical limitations. There are no gender limitations. We must be more than just willing to serve Christ. We must be eager to love others. Now, Don't take this too harshly. I don't mean to be too hard, but I came across something that saddened me the other day, and I wondered how James would have responded to this. Many of you know, recently we created a survey online for the church uh, to answer some questions, to ask some questions, sorry, about reopening. Now, please know, I have no way, we have absolutely no way of knowing who filled this out or anything about them or who answered what to what question. And we also know that many of you didn't answer or, or get a chance to answer these questions yet. So this doesn't actually include everyone, but it does include a nice percentage of our people. And I was genuinely 
saddened to see this. The number of people who were willing to help out with VBS, should we be able to have it in July, was nearly identical to the number of people that said they wanted no part. They couldn't help out at all with VBS. Now, it was about a 60-40 split. The encouraging news, well, 98% of the people that took that survey were genuinely excited at some level to gather back together to come and listen. But only 40%, but but 40% of those people were unwilling, didn't think that God had any purpose, any use for them to serve in any way with the church's possibly greatest outreach to the most wonderful age in our entire community. What would James say? What words would he use to describe that kind of disconnect between our faith and our actions? (laughs) You see, faith and works are perfect partners. Each one complements the other in our spiritual growth. There's an old story told of a boatman who had two oars. On one oar, he painted the word faith, and on the other, he painted the word works. And people would often ask him why he did that. And when they did, they would, he would simply take one of the oars out of the water and begin paddling. Now, of course, if you've ever done that, you know the boat just spins around in circles. And of course, his illustration was this. If you don't use both oars, you're not making any progress as a Christian. You're just spinning in circles. You will grow no closer to God. There are so many people today that believe their faith is a personal private thing and that there's no need to share it with anyone even a reason or even a reason for anyone to ever know that they're a person of faith i believe that logic is satanic i know that's a pretty harsh word isn't it but think of it who is the only person that would not want you to share your faith in jesus with anyone else it's obviously the opposite of everything Jesus taught. It's opposite of everything Paul showed us, wrote us, demonstrated for us, and believed. And clearly, it's in opposition to the words of James. Our faith, if it is genuine, it cannot be invisible. It has to be on display. James then creates this scenario between two friends. It's a hypothetical argument, if you will, that he's making. The first says, well, hey, do your best to show me your faith without using your works, and I will show you by my works, and we'll see which one of us has the real deal. James's whole point, if it doesn't show, then you don't actually have it. Now, the second friend, he comes up with a great defense, a great logical defense of his faith. He says, hey, I don't have any works, but hey, I have an impressive knowledge of God. I believe that God is one. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4, to which James replied, hey, that's wonderful that you believe that God is one. You might as well go hold hands with the demons because you know what? They believe the exact same thing. Only there is a difference. The demons at the name of God, they shudder. And a person whose faith is dead doesn't even do that. And James's final argument he references two people two people who appear to be the complete opposites of one another abraham this pillar of faith the chosen one that god brought forth to begin his line ultimately to lead to the birth of his son jesus admired respected through all generations the other a prostitute despised 
projected, considered completely insignificant by the world, both of whom reveal that they are indeed people of great faith. How? Well, through their works. Abraham was saved by faith, true, but he proved that faith by obeying God and offering his son in Genesis 22. Rahab was saved by trusting in God, but she showed the reality of her faith by protecting the spies and lending aid to the Israelite army. Without actions, without the works of these two, would God have been able to use them? Well, yes, God can still use anyone, but would they be remembered in God's word at all? Maybe not. Rahab, Rahab probably would have perished with the rest of her city as God crushed the entire city. And Abraham's story probably would have ended in that moment when God's request to offer his son Isaac was rejected. There would be no more to their story. Their faith would have proved useless at that specific moment in time. As with anything, when there is separation, there is death. It's true in life. When you separate a plant from water or from the sun, guess what happens? It will surely die. It's true of the physical body. When the body and soul are separated, the body indeed dies. Spiritually, when faith and works are separated, faith dies. So the question becomes for each of us. Genuine faith. Genuine faith is from the heart. Is our faith from the heart? Genuine faith is involved. Are you and I involved? Genuine faith is active. Are you and I active in our faith? Are we out pursuing others, helping others in need, sharing the love of Christ with others? And finally, genuine faith is visible. Can others see our faith, yours and mine, on display? James contends when they look at us, they should see Jesus. If your faith was seen as a tree full of life and bearing much fruit, obviously there would be no problem. But if that fruit begins to fail, those leaves begin to fall, and then that next spring, there's nothing. Your tree is barren. How many years would it take before you deemed that tree to be dead? That's the story of our faith. You see, Jesus said in John 15, five, very famous words of his, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Not you might, not you should bear fruit, but you will. And that word will is an amazing word to use because in the original Greek, it is continuing on and on and on and on forever. It's the moment, it's the here and now, and it's from this moment until one day God calls you home. There is no pause, there is no break. It'll continue on and on and on until God calls you home one day. Here's the cool thing. The fruit in our lives, the fruit in our lives represents the obvious goodness of the vine to which you and I are connected. Now, if you've never connected to that vine, then today is the day to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know you might be watching this anywhere. You might not have any knowledge of Jesus whatsoever until this moment in time. And all I can share with you right now is that there's a feeling inside of you that, wow, 
This is who I want to be. This is, this is that internal thing I spoke of earlier today that God is always pushing us in this direction and we just have to answer that call. You're feeling that call for the first time. Ever respond today. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to have your act together. You just must respond and understand that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and offered his life in exchange for yours. His sinless life was given so that you and I could live forever with him. If that's you today, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. I want you as my Lord and Savior, Jesus. I don't even know what that means maybe yet, but I know I want this to happen. If God leads you to make that decision, there's just something inside of you today that's pushing you in that direction, then please let us know. Connect with us right now in this feed and begin a conversation with us so we can help you learn more about Jesus, to learn more about who we are supposed to be in Christ, to learn more about his saving grace and his forgiveness in yours. And fellow believers, if James's words don't convict you, as one old pastor of mine used to say, if that doesn't light a fire, then your wood must be wet. <laughs> There's something about James's words that just drive to the heart of our faith. And it always calls us out and says, hey, are you living it out? Are you who God wants you to be? And if you haven't been, then now is the time to be reborn. Now is the time to repent of those actions. As I said here in a couple weeks, when we gather we are starting over brand new as a body of Christ. God's going to bring us brand new people we've never met before. Maybe that new person is you. God creates a new life, a new desire to serve and to love him within you as we gather back together once again. Father God, as we pray about those watching today, those that have never come to know you yet, maybe today is the day that the Spirit moves in them to accept you for the first time ever. What a glorious day that will be as that happens. Father, at the same time, there are those listening that have been these, we are these people that have been to church forever. We listen every single week and yet we don't hear what you're trying to tell us. We don't go and reflect those things that we listen to each and every week. We, we just hear them and they come in and go out and we leave. We don't ever apply them to our lives. We pray that beginning this moment, we will allow your spirit to transform us into the people of God the mighty warriors of God, those going to serve in places of need, those loving our neighbors as ourselves, those generous people that are supporting the work of the kingdom, not just here in this community, but across the world, those that are sharing our faith with our friends, our family, our neighbors, and our coworkers. Father, may our faith never die. May it never seem useless because we are allowing you to use us. Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't hesitate to make those decisions online. They can happen at any time. Um, and please reach out and connect with us. You know, one of my favorite parts of these online gatherings have been the moments where each week I get to just grab the bread and I get to grab the juice and I get to break bread with you and remember this time of Christ together. I hope maybe in your home, this has become a special time for you and your family together to remember. I hope maybe maybe even this Sunday after service, have a discussion with your kids, your family about faith as you eat lunch right after this. Have a discussion about your faith in action and what that looks like as you break bread maybe around your lunchtime, dinner table. Talk to them about the sacrifice Teach them what Jesus did when he shared that his broken body was offered for them. And he asked them to take that body and eat in remembrance of him.
And as you take that drink and you share it together, don't ever forget about the blood that was shed to cover your sins and mine. The precious gift that was. As our time together comes to a close, I again want to just thank you so much. So many of you have been able to be generous. We know there are those in our congregation that are suffering, those that have lost jobs, those that are working reduced hours. We know those things are real and genuine, and I'm, thank, I'm so thankful that God has continued to provide for you. And if there's help that you need, please contact the church. Probably email would be the best way, um, office at bccbrazil.org, because our phones have been acting kind of funny lately. So probably email is the best way to reach out to us if there's a need in your life. But if there's not, for those that have been faithfully giving through this time, thank you so much. We're excited about some of the things that's allowing us to do in the background that you'll find out about here pretty soon, we hope. And we're really excited about the doors, the opportunities that's gonna open up to us in our community to really reach out and serve. And so if God today, maybe through this message, planted some ideas and thoughts inside of you, share those with us, email those to us, connect with us and, and share with those things. We think God gives you those ideas for a reason. And it's probably so that you can be the one to help lead and direct those. So don't miss that opportunity. You can continue to give in the same ways. There's a give button right here on the screen. If you're watching the online chat version, you can go to our website, bccbrazil.org, and click the Donate Now button. You can text to give, 84321. Text any dollar amount. It's super cool and easy to do it that way. Or you can continue uh, to write checks and send those in to the church. We're so grateful for your faithful giving. Uh, God has provided for us in, in miraculous ways through this time. And, and we're grateful for that opportunity to share, to respond, to worship God through our giving. Lastly, I want to remind you next week, next week's passages, James 2, 1 through 13. It's a short passage. It's a, a short message. So I, I hope that uh, you gain a lot from it. I know I did as I was preparing it for next week. And I want to remind you of our Welcome Home Sunday, May 31st, as the plan, 10 a.m., outside weather permitting. So help us spread that word. Thank you for joining us today. I cannot tell you how much it means to myself, to McKenna, to the leadership of the church, to those longtime members to know and hear the good news of how many people are joining us online each and every week. And we can't wait for all of those people that are within close enough distance to join us online in the future. Have a great week. May God bless you and your family.